Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Vermut, and joining me as always are my co-hosts, Scott Burleson and Jonathan Edwards. I'm excited about today because we get to talk to someone who wrote the book I immediately fell in love with for its clarity and charming, charming critique of what is going wrong in large organizations and the digital space. Top Tasks. Today, we talk to Jerry McGovern. He has developed Top Tasks, which is a design framework that helps identify what truly matters to people. It has been developed over a 15-year period and applied more than 500 times by companies like Microsoft, Cisco, Toyota, and governmental organizations such as the European Union, and of course, the Irish government and the WHO. Jerry is a highly regarded speaker and has proven it in more than 40 countries around the world. He appeared on CNN, the BBC, and various other media. He has written eight books, of which I strongly recommend, of course, I mentioned it already, The Top Tasks, A How-To Guide, and another one, Transform, A Rebel's Guide for Digital Transformation, and of course, his latest one called Worldwide Waste, How Digital is Killing the Planet and What to Do About It. A lot of today will be about, I think, designing information and, and that structure, but I think there's so much in here uh, that we can learn for the innovation business as well. So, Jerry, thanks a lot and welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Oh, and thank you for inviting me to this uh, chat. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Perfect. So to start, I mentioned it before, uh, I have to start quoting from your book and it would be nice to get a little bit, kind of start there and get a little bit into and what the top tasks is. And it, but I mean, that introduction, the first chapter, why top tasks? I mean, that, it just blew me away again for its clarity and, and charming critique as it were. And, and, and in there is, is a couple of sentences that I just want to read. So here it goes. It goes like, organizations need to make things simple today, really simple. They need to understand their customer much better. The design of their products must be genuinely intuitive, so simple, even a distracted adult can understand it. The truth is that organizations love complexity, verbosity, and glut. Giving a website, I'm tempted here to add uh, an innovation lab, but anyway, giving, an, um, giving a website to an organization is like giving a pop to an alcoholic. And I just love that image. Can you can you explain a little bit where this is where this is coming from? Because I 100% agree, and I love the, the the image that you're giving here. Well, I think we we face, and we've been talking about it for a long time. In some ways, for the last 20 years, um, a true information overload that uh, our capacity to create uh, information and data vastly out, outstrips our capacity to organize it. And um, we have excelled in tools of production uh, and, and publication. And much of the digital industry or ecosystem is actually based on encouraging us to create and to store, you know, whether it's the free models or, or otherwise of, of, of free products or the data center models. A lot of them begin with, well, you've got X amount of free storage. But they're they're very much based on getting us beyond that point of free storage into into the premium landscape. So that you often will find that if you want to remove stuff from Gmail accounts or any, it's very very difficult. And and it's and that's a deliberate design de decision to actually 
you know, create this world that that is is constantly expanding, and with some belief in there that that uh, you know some value will be will be mined from it. But really, what we are doing is creating massive, massive mountains of waste. It, it, it's estimated that only five percent of data in a data center is actively managed. So the other ninety-five percent, after about three months, it's never going to be looked at again. And and the consequences of that and the, the phenomenal growth of data are are very significant in not just for organizational behavior, but for the climate, because data centers are now becoming a, a key consumer of electricity and water and other resources. Yeah. That's a key concern of yours, and I've seen you mention this more or more and more. And of course, the latest book books about this and and, and I would love to touch upon this uh, again and again later on because, it, I mean, it is a real problem. And I think it, it, it's so right. I mean, also, just the pure data that organizations have, many of them have, I mean, piles and piles of all the data you can imagine, but most of them have don't do anything with it. Wouldn't, yeah. They also don't know what to do with it, and there is no real purpose behind it, but somehow collecting data seems to be inherently something good. Right. That's at least a belief in some sense. I don't that's know. a belief. And, and that's fed by the tech industry, of which I've been a part of for, for 30 years. I mean, the, the, the selling of content management systems or data management systems has always been about production and, and um, storage, so to speak, at the, at the Vegas level. And that, that, in essence, you just need to buy the new content management system and somehow that will solve your content management problem. Yet these are oxymorons when they come to names. I've, uh, it, it's rare that I found a content management system that actually helps you manage content. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. it, uh, but it's 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 really tapping into. It, it it often strikes me that that humans, modern humans, are very intelligent but very unwise. That we, you know. We, we behave as so-called primitive people would never behave. We are incre incredibly slovenly in, in the way we, we work and, you know, we create wireframes and do all sorts of, and then we just move on to the next project. The amount of waste that we leave behind us in, in the digital ecosystem, uh, the amount of times you go into a, you know, sales management system and an internet and see 90 versions of the same sales PowerPoint and and nobody will ever go back or return. You know, there, you know, there seems like in some ways technology is making humans more lazy or more stupid. Uh, there's less information architecture skills today, in my experience, than there was 20 or 25 years ago. Uh, you know, because the, the hope is, oh, the AI will solve it for us or the, you know, the, the, we we always believe there's a new technology just about to appear that's going to clean up the mess, but the mess keeps getting bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hundred percent agree. So, a lot a, a lot of what what I I believe, and we can get into this into more detail. Top top task is about, but also I mean I think your general uh, thrust, let's say, in, in in what you write and publish is making things simpler take basically t how what what can you really take away and really leave out so so 
what's the importance of making stuff stuff simpler and how does that kind of relate to to customer understanding well if you if you have an arc if you have um let's say a hundred objects a thousand objects and 950 of them are waste and you index that in a search engine you try and create an architecture out of that from an information architecture you've essentially created an information architecture of waste or you and you've created a search engine of waste because you've only got 50 things that really matter out of out of the thousand in in the process so what we often end up doing is creating structures that allow the waste to rise to the top rather than the cream you know in in uh, because you you essentially overload search uh, environments, uh, certainly internal search environments or internet uh, search environments by, you know, just poorly structured content and and uh, multiple versions of of a product document that, that nobody has taken away. So over time, the waste overwhelms everything else. There's there's an old saying: uh, What do you get when you cross a fox with a chicken? Uh, you get a fox because the fox eats the chicken, you know? And you can imagine the fox as being in, say, information management senses, what should be the archive, and the chicken is the website. If you don't separate the fox and the chicken, the fox eats the chicken, the, the website becomes the archive, you know, in, in the pro and, you can, and you can find nothing because everything has been stored in the actual environment. So, we have we have less and less skills uh, to actually organize. I remember talking to a somebody uh, uh, who was uh, in in the army, and I think it was the British Army. He was a senior um, officer, or corporal, or some some high, high rank at the time I was talking to him. And he says when he was a, a young officer in the seventies, and and he was just getting uh, appointed to his position, they sent him on a course, a three day course, and the course was. And managing my filing cabinet, you know, how to organize his, his filing cabinet. Yeah. And then he said in the 80s, when he got another promotion, didn't do that course anymore because now he had a computer. Hmm. So the idea was that when you had this physical filing cabinet, you needed the skills of how to create tabs, what to call them, how to structure the top of your filing cabinet a second. But he says, now I've got 100 filing cabinets and they don't give me any training. You know, so, so the inherent with modern technology was the assumption that either you would learn organizational skills and architectural skills just by using the device uh, or that you really didn't need them anymore because the characteristics of the device, the search components were so good that we no longer need to organize. And I think we've never needed more to actually organize than we do today. And, and of course, we see the companies that do organize well. We see, you know, I, I really started using Google in 1990, whenever it came out, very, very soon after it came out and whatever. And they are the essence of, you know, see what you get when you organize stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and we look at uh, Amazon, you know, the what, what, what was their first product? Books and why did they choose products? Because there was an already infor existing information architecture there, you know, and they have been relentlessly focused for good or ill 
on information architecture sense. So the, the companies that are really dominating the digital landscape are extremely good at information architecture. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, Google then f- focused on maps and you know, all about structure and organizing information. And, and people have missed that point so badly in so many organizations. I feel for me, this is like, I, I can immediately relate this to also the, the, the business of innovation where, where, where I'm more in, where we also have this for, I mean, it translates into the, what you're saying. It translates also into the front end. You can see this on you can get a feel of this when you look at certain websites, we don't have to name them, but you can look at webs and it's just, it, it's a thousand different things that you can find. Well, find there is exactly the hard part, but that are on there. And I think a lot of innovation is, is, or at least similar to it. We add a product feature, we add another product feature and we do this a hundred times until we don't actually know what's, what's going on. Yeah. So it's very hard to, to, how do you weigh things? How do you decide what, what matters and what doesn't? And maybe here kind of top task comes, come, comes in. I, 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 well, that's part of it. And, and, and Jan, maybe you'll hate me for this as well, but I think, I think we need to really seriously look at innovation and, 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 and what, what is actually behind it or what it has become, because it has become more what you've just described, a kind of a features arm, arms race. Uh, in in the process, and a lot of the stuff we need to know today is 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 common knowledge for hundreds of years. I mean, we if we want to solve the climate crisis, we don't need AI to churn through massive quantities of data. We need to start walking more. We need to start cycling more. You know, we need to create cities that are livable and walkable. We don't need AI to tell us this stuff. I mean, the, the most profound things that we need to know today have been known for thousands of years. And uh, us modern humans are so bored with the past, so bored with anything that's more than two weeks old, that we, we constantly have to get the, the new thing uh, in, in the process. And we really, and it's like going back to that earlier analogy of giving an organization the web is like uh, giving an alcoholic a pub. We have, we have become addicted to speed. Digital, the inherent characteristic of digital is, is speed and, and a type of fragility as well that, that exists within digital. And we, we have become speed addicts. Uh, and it's not good for us and it's not good for the environment. And it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a recipe for the extinction of the human species. You know, I, I, I think... You know, if we look at look at innovation, human innovation uh, in the last three or four hundred years, we've done nothing in the last 50 years. What have we done for all our computers and all our what what big breakthroughs really has can humanity put, wave their hands about in the last 50 years? Like, you know. What? Not practically nothing of significance, like electricity or the railways, or you know, uh, you know, really big breakthroughs of of antibiotics or what? Mm. You know, uh, the iPhone or the you know, and and most of the iPhone was government fund was the result of forty years of government funding. You know, the the all the all the core components of the iPhone. You know, so we can make a phone vibrate. Is that is that what we see? You know that that's you know what what can we really say we've done in the last fifty years that is truly transformative? Have we built better planes? 
have we built? We're still flying around in 60s planes. You know, we're not we're not nearly as clever as we think we are, uh, but we're really good at pretending we're doing loads of stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is oh sorry go on Scott. you know the, it's funny when you I've, I've missed your exact wording you said something like we hate the past and here's an observation that i've I'll, i've made sort of regarding um i don't know if it's climate change but let's say let's say energy usage in in my neighborhood where i live or in the town where i live there's a you have to pay a tax penalty based on the like how much concrete's in your driveway because i guess that has to do with you know with how water is rushed but which is fine. But then when, what is not allowed in my neighborhood are clotheslines to dry your clothes. It's against, it's against the regulations. You cannot have a clothesline to dry your clothes. But look at, talk about hating the past. I mean, look at a, a simple, effective technology, <laughs> bulletproof, been used for thousands of years, probably, is a way to dry clothes. Um, in a clothes dryer, I mean, it's, you know, I don't have to do, launch a study to have a sense of that's going to, something's going to consume a lot of electricity. And so it's hard for me to get too interested in these, let's measure your concrete and, and really assess, pay, make you pay taxes for the amount of water runoff you're responsible for when you won't, when you literally will not let me use the humble clothesline, which I I have a hard time believing that that would not have a much bigger impact on energy usage just to allow, I mean, if you allow thousands, tens of thousands, a hundred thousand people to use clotheslines. So I'm, I was inspired by your comment, we hate the past, but Jerry, what do you think's behind that? I mean, what, so if we have these simple solutions, we, 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 we sort of rule them out, but yet we pursue these very high tech AI solutions for which which may have promise, but certainly um, it's hard to take them seriously as a consumer when you watch the simple ones ignored. What what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, I think that's a great example, Scott. You know, and and probably you're not allowed to have clotheslines because it's not pretty or something, or right. you know, or, or some supercilious reason in in the pro. I think I think Scott, we we are inherently inbuilt to believe in gods you know in you know and, and technology is a new god it's a kind of it's a new thing that's going to solve things for us or lead us to you know th a better place or uh, some create miracles of, of of our lives and and you know that the you know, we've got caught up in all that belief in this thing and and the sense of 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 constant progress and you know we, we were selling our house recently and uh we're moving we're moving country as well we're moving from ireland uh to to spain to semi retiring my my sister's about 13 years older than me she's a reasonable amount older than me and i was just talking to her as we're moving i was saying oh we're giving everything away or we, to our cousins and nieces and everything like that. And, and I said to her at one stage, oh, and we, and we don't want to waste anything. And she almost had a heart attack. Like she said, no, you couldn't waste anything. You know, uh, we grew up in a small farm. Like, and, you know, the idea of waste was like, you, it's just, it was a sin. You know, it was, it was, everything was reused. Everything was got, you know, and 
like I didn't want to waste, but she was like shocked that I'd even say for a moment that we were going to throw something out in in the process. And, you know, that, that these people we look down on, these are all fogies or, you know, these are these are not modern people. Uh, my sister would not be on the cover of any forward progressive magazine, yet she was doing her type of lifestyle is a vastly better lifestyle from a sustainable point of view for a, a future of the human race than my lifestyle has certainly been uh, over over the years. Uh, I think I've learned quite late of these things like, you know, like clotheslines and, and, you know, that, that the basics, that there's, you know, a lot of it is, I think a lot of the solutions is actually non-technological that, you know, walking, cycling, clotheslines, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of capacity either in our own human energy or in energy that's in the wind or any, but we're constantly needing to mediate everything through a device and we don't need to do that. Yeah. No, I, it made me think a couple of things. So I think one of the, maybe you'd agree, but, and, and this spans from, from, from websites to food to, to whatever, but somehow there seems to be, there's no real price on waste. It doesn't hurt. No. Unfortunately, it doesn't hurt. Like the waste or at least the damage I create vis-a-vis -vis the environment is not in, it, there's no, no real price on it. Yes, you no. pay a couple of taxes and so on, but, but it's, not, it's not what you actually cause out there. So, so I think there is, there is something amiss uh, in that sense. And, well, and, I and I completely agree with, with, with this. There is, a, there is a, such a strong hope that technology will solve, well, whatever, and then where when you look at the history of technology, at least in, in even in the innovation space, is most of them are flops. Most of them, yeah, they, they come on the market. You try to do a couple of things. I mean, look at the blockchain; it's nice, or it's there for a long time, but nobody really knows what to use it for. So, most of the history of technology is is a couple of great inventions, but <laughs> a lot of it didn't work. Just didn't 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 catch on. Didn't hang on. And even, Jan, what works, the, the problem with modern technology or energetic technology is that even that, that which is efficient uh, creates more use. So yeah, we, sure. may double, we may double the efficiency, but we treble the use. So there, I, I'm not sure there is a, a, a technological invention that has actually reduced energy consumption. Uh, you know, it it just but even oh, though the machine it. gets more efficient, it it probably also gets cheaper by the same token. And then, of course, that it, then two people use it or three people use it, so that expands the footprint overall. So the footprint, so the energy consumption. I think energy consumption has doubled since the seventies, and is likely uh, to double again over the next uh, uh, thirty or forty years. So it's it's not an energy production problem we have; it's an energy consumption one. And I think. Scott's example is a great example. Dry your clothes in the sun. If we, there's so many. Like I, I saw a study of uh, U.S. households, which which said that 20% of electricity was wasted with what was called vampire power, with basically devices that were always on but not being used. Oh, yeah. You know, 20% of electricity uh, in in the process. So you know, the, and as you said, there's no cause. You know, I I talked to. 
uh, a designer uh, with the, a, a really great phone. I don't know if you've heard of them called Fairphone, which is a yeah. modular de designed uh, phone. So one of the designers there, and she was saying the number one issue she sees uh, in a, a challenge to modern economies is, is what you articulated there, Jan. We, we don't properly account for the entire cost of the product. Uh, from its manufacturing, which includes its mining, which includes its waste. I mean, the amount of, we dig out of the earth 100 billion tonnes of material every year. And 90 billion tonnes of that immediately goes to goes into a, a, a tailings dump or a, whatever. So 90 billion tonnes is immediately, and most of that waste is toxic. So we don't, we don't account for that. And we don't look after that properly. Uh, and then the products that uh, they're speeding up with planned obsolescence, uh, certainly in the electronics industry, less than 20% of electronics are, are properly recycled. And properly, even about 70% of electronics are recycled. And of that 70% of re re recycling that occurs, we're lucky if we get back 30% of the materials. Yeah. So we're, we're talking probably about 6-7% of material recycling for electronics. And the, the, we're now creating 50 million tons of electronics uh, waste every year, uh, enough to build the Great Wall of China uh, every year. And it's going to double in another six years. So we've got this incredible waste tsunami. Look at plastic. You know, Amazon creates enough bubble wrap to smother the earth five times every year. <laughs> to wrap around the entire globe uh, every year, and there's no there's no cost to that waste. There's no, no nobody's getting really charged for it. And so we need a radical new accounting model that gives a true and total cost yeah. of our activities to the entire ecosystem, rather than just to a particular company or localized economy. I'm I'm now wondering about maybe maybe two things. So this this the, the the fact that you care 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 so much about about this environmental aspect and especially of of well of all the things but also in in, in the digital world did, does that how somehow did that came out of the of of top task itself or is that is that a is that a kind of additional thing yeah well I, I when I look back and we're always great rationalizers you know they say <laughs> they, I, I heard a great quote once that says Human, uh, humans are not rational animals. Humans are rationalizing animals. You know, so we, I, and I'd, <laughs> I'd like to think that there was a connection. But I mean, about four or five years ago, I was watching, you know, the, the young people demonstration, Greta Thunberg or whatever, Fridays for the Future. And I thought, you know, here's these idealized, you know, people, young people trying to save the planet. I wonder if there's something I could do. Uh, and I really thought there wasn't much. You know, I thought, oh, I'm working in digital, it's great and everything like that. Um, but then as I researched and the more I thought, it, you know, it almost is in the back of my head of, of the huge quantity of content waste. I remember once having a conversation with a senior person in Microsoft and he said, and this is back years ago, he said, uh, Microsoft had 15 million pages at that stage on Microsoft.com. And he said, 4 million of them had never been visited. Nobody had ever gone to them. And I, I thought, wow, that's the population of Ireland of pages that nobody has ever visited, you know, and why? And when you think of it's not just 
the cost of publishing that page, but the cost of creating it, the amount of meetings that go into, you know, creating that particular content. So I was very aware of, you know, going into organizations. And after we deleted 80 to 90% of the website, it worked better or the internet. I, worked. I just, can I just, I just that, 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 that sinks in 80 to 90% of the content. Yeah. In, I remember once working in the IKEA internet and, and uh, it was something like five, or no, not IKEA, Tetra Pak. Uh, we did some work with IKEA over, over the years as well, but Tetra Pak. We did like half a million pages and we, uh, in one movement, uh, it wasn't the fun. We got rid of 400,000 and nobody noticed, you know, in, in, in the project. You know, they actually had a team. They hired a team of a support team uh, I don't know, was there three or five or six people in it to because they were terrified uh, about the idea of yeah, deleting of all this stuff. But we had the evidence that nobody was looking at it, et cetera, et cetera, in the process. So they hired a team to deal with all the negative feedback that they would get. And they let go of the team on the first morning uh, at lunchtime because they didn't get a single call you know, for the 400,000 pages in the pro. And I could tell you the same for the U.S. Department of Health for, uh, you know, uh, uh, University of Southampton did a recent study on something like 90, 95% of their content was not being uh, visited. So that was a connection. I didn't, I didn't see it mm. at that time. I wasn't talking about environmentalism or sustainability. I was just saying, this is crazy. Like, why... Why are we yeah. producing all this sort of uh, stuff? And, and you know, we can't maintain these websites. We can't, you know, look after them. And, and you know, the, it, I just felt it was it was not a very sensible thing uh, to be to be doing. But I didn't see the environmental element of it. Looking back, I can see how, you know, like in Ireland at the moment, Ireland is a big tech center and. Uh, data centers are taking up 14% of Irish electricity, 14%. All of rural Ireland is 12%. All of rural Ireland, okay. all the households and the shops and in rural Ireland is 12%. Data centers are 14%. And 90% of that is, is not a data center, it's a data dump. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we, and, and data is growing at such, I, I think we're going to hit a big data crisis within the next five years. It is growing at an unbelievable rate. Uh, and most of it is not of a quality. So yeah. I, I have a question related to this. I find that the parallel between, uh, shall we call it content creep and feature creep, I've, I found that a very interesting um, parallel. I had never really noticed that before. And my question to you is, why do you think that happens fundamentally? I mean, why is it that it's it's easier to to add stuff than to actually take stuff away? Yeah, well, adding requires a lot less wisdom or intelligence than taking away. Uh, and, you know, add, I was in a huge, one of the biggest software companies in the world once and uh, uh, with one of their uh, top products. And I heard a bunch of senior people deciding about a new feature. And the decision process was basically the competitor has it. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that was it. The competitor has it. We need it. And I said, why do you need it? Oh, we, you know, they, when I asked them why did they need it, they looked at me as if I had two heads. Why are they asking such a stupid question? The competitor has it. But 
I remember I, I used to, over the years I used to do a lot of work for councils and municipalities around top tasks. Uh, and um, there was you could you could see council websites, older council websites. You don't have it now. They were extremely difficult to navigate because there was four or five different types of navigation on the page. And the more I got into understanding the history of these websites, the more I understood why there was all these different types of navigation. So there, there was this navigation on the left, which was a kind of a, a clunky attempt uh, in 2019-99 to develop an overall architecture for uh, all, all of local government uh, content. And it was badly taught out and was badly used, but it got implemented. And basically, people said in the councils, this isn't working. Right? We can, people can't find stuff, but can't take it away. <laughs> like, uh, like, it's not working, but we can't take it away. So they added sections like most popular or whatever. Uh, and so then they have the navigation. And there's another navigation called most popular. So what the other navigation on the left, that was unpopular or something like that. And then there was a new government initiative called Do It Online which had a kind of a, a different navigation approach, which was like fine, pay, you know, it had, it had verb, a verb-based navigation. And that became pushed for about, that was a big senior man, new government came in, wanted to do something. So then that got onto the uh, website. But did they take away the other two? No. So now you had three different forms of navigation. Then another government came in uh, with uh, says, oh, uh, these websites are a total mess, these local government. Let's fix the problem. They added a fourth form of navigation onto the website. Nobody ever took, because oh, we can't take it away because it's connected or linked to other things. And so it's very easy to add and you won't get shot for adding. But the fear of removing, it takes real courage to extricate. So you see in most intranets. You'll see data management or document storage systems. You'll see multiple versions of them, or you'll see multiple versions of training systems. Well, that training system didn't work, but it worked for this tiny fraction of training and it's popular for that. So we're not going to remove it for just that tiny bit of training. And then after over a period, you got five or six different training systems and people are stopping people in the corridor asking which training should you go to in, in the process. So. It takes real intelligence and hard work and, and be willing to defend and be willing to take initial negative response from certain actors if you remove something. Uh, but you can launch something or, you know, add something and nobody's really going to attack you in the process. So. So adding and launching is is a path to, you know, and that's how you actually uh, progress your career. I mean, you don't go into the next uh, meeting for the new management system and say, well, I took away a content management system. You know, that's not going to get you the next job. I I launched a new content management system. You know, nobody's going to look at you at the next job and say, I took away five features. You know, they're, 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 all they want to know about is the features that you added. Jerry, I'm sorry. I relate so much to what you're saying. Uh, it's like I'm running out of notes on my little pad. I just one, just you know, it's it's um. There's a lot less risk to adding in there. I mean, personal, like maybe corporate risk is different, but just me as an individual, if I say let's add this, 
Okay, nobody, the worst thing happens is nobody uses it. But if I say, let's take this away, then I'm like, personally, I've made a case for it against all this energy to make this inertia to maintain it. So now I've taken personal risk to re, to get rid of it. And what at what benefit? It's funny. So I, I'll tell you this one example. It's a great lesson for product managers, managing features on products. And I, I'll give you one quick example. When I was a product manager with John Deere with compact tractors, and I often feel like one of the things I sh that is underrated that I did was some things that never saw the light of day. One was a gasoline or you're, you're a petrol powered tractor. There was tremendous executives. They wanted to add this gasoline powered option, which would have been very costly from lots of perspectives. And, it, and, it, and nobody wanted it. And it was adding to the SKUs. It is adding to this. And I was like, if they add this thing, they'll never get rid of it, you know? And so nobody ever cares. I never got a pat on the back. For I literally laid down, not literally, I figuratively laid down on the path to stop that model from ever seeing the light of day. And then, and, and the, like you say, nobody cares. It's been 12 years, nobody cares. But I feel like that was one of the best things I ever did for them, something that absolutely nobody cares about. In fact, I made a lot of people angry at the time. They didn't appreciate me uh, preventing that. No, you're right. I, 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 and connected with that, Scott, I remember having a conversation with a product manager and he said, if I remove this feature, that's two jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're all, in, especially in bigger software environments, features are often little teams. And, you know, what's in all likelihood, they'll get repositioned or whatever. But when you remove a feature, you know, you're you're affecting people uh, in, in, the, in the process. And, and, uh, yeah, that that's you know what you did uh, in stopping that, and would that we could develop more wisdom as a species. You know, I I think I think we've lost wisdom, and I know it sounds like a foggy word or a you know, but I think we need far more wisdom than innovation. I think uh, what's difficult it, about this is it it seems to me that this is some kind of fundamental law uh, somehow a bit like i don't know if you know zipf's law you know this this idea that you find power laws everywhere um and they they just pop up every, everywhere and i get the feeling this this thing that it's easier to add than subtract is you find this everywhere you find this in in uh, in law and you know governments making laws it's very easy to add laws it's very difficult to take them away uh, as we mentioned in features in content and I mean, I used to edit films and I, I often, uh, clients would tell me, uh, oh, but um, uh, if you make something shorter, it should cost less, right? But, but actually <laughs> it's really difficult to get yeah. something short. It's, it's actually much more work, you know, to get the same, let's say, um, effectiveness uh, in a more efficient way is actually a lot of work. And yeah. I do wonder where this comes from. I, I would suspect there's some kind of game theoretic thing going on and underneath that. As you yeah, talked sure. about the different costs, you know, how the, the cost to the individual is much bigger if you take something away. But if you add something, basically the cost is spread out to the whole organization. So I, I think it, these are very tricky problems to to handle. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they definitely are. And, and I'm sure there's an underlying law. And I think... I think part of it is down to 
evolution as well that you know we were for most of us as our existence as a species for hundreds of thousands of years we were used to scarcity and you know once we mm. saw fruits or something like that we grabbed them and we you know we you know the the idea that we would have too much would have been you know a strange idea uh and and uh i think we're not able to deal with abundance uh mm. and that's you know um that's a, a core challenge but even you see it in dna like a lot of you know the dna is is so called well we don't know what it does there you know <laughs> in the process uh so uh can we overcome this because we need to you know over because this more costs energy you know this little bit yeah. of extra storage it, it it begins to add up because the constant debate when i i say i you know but the all the uh, content you know people keep coming back to me and say yeah but gigabytes to, has no consequence store as much as you want you know and uh, that it's just as cheap to ch- store 10 gigabytes is 100 gigabytes and and in some technical environments is because uh, systems tend to scale in in blocks of you know of environments but you know when you when you take that all outwards and you get to 14% of irish electricity then you realize yeah all of those little ones adding up are in, in other uh, countries and you know and it's not just the electricity you know a typical data center can consume a million liters of water a day uh, and and they cycle through hardware at an extraordinary rate. Every two or three years, uh, servers are, are changed. To manufacture a server is between one and two uh, ton of CO2. A lot of digital waste is actually hitting in, in the manufacturing process. So we have this invis- this so-called cloud-based. The cloud has made it worse. So we've got worse. We've got a lot worse. You know, I was back in the 90s. In the mid '90s, involved in the web, we'd been around, sitting around. How can we get five bytes out of this image? Because it was going down a telephone line or whatever. The web page, you know, you had to be really focused and write clean HTML. And now we send down, uh, you know, 300 kilobytes of CSS when we only need 10. The page only uses 10, but it's just as easy to send the whole package down. And you know, so we've got an average of five megabyte pages in weight when you are only 800 kilobyte is actually working for that page and uh, and that 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 convenience is that's all leading us to that culture of you know just throwing things away and and we have to change that culture i think what really resonated you said we're not able we're not built to deal with abundance I think that makes a lot of sense. It reminds me, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these survival shows, like Alone. You ever seen that, where you're on an island by yourself? Well, in those circumstances, like if you find a plastic bottle or a can or like, or a large nail, like anything you find, you don't get rid of. Like, cause you have to find there's, cause you have, you have true scarcity. You have so little that you can you can make usefulness uh you need to try to make usefulness out of any piece of trash or that you find and it's and surely back in our our lizard brains there was a time where that made a lot of sense and you had and if you killed an animal use you, you need to use every single bit of it if you plant a plant you know 
or, you know, you're going to turn whatever, however your farming practices are going to, you're going to try to use every possible thing you can. And so it's like, it's literally we're wired that way and we don't. And so now we're in this environment where we have abundance. It's like we, it's like our programming is, it's, we're still, we're still in our minds. We're on that Island by ourselves and we have to, we have to collect all our plastic bottles. And yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I, uh, abundance is, is very enjoyable for maybe only a certain limit of time, but having things available and not having to care. And you can just, I mean, that's, that's it's stimulating. It's, it, yeah. it is. But it's <laughs> so, like, Jan, it's how you started this. It's the pub and the alcoholic for the first week. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Like, Somewhere along the line, there's going to be issues. But <laughs> there's going to be issues. There's going to be, you know, but yeah. it's the, the first the first couple of days, it's publish, publish, publish. It's happy, yeah. happy times, you know. Yeah. Times are great, uh, but they don't last because our abundance costs the earth and costs the ecosystem. Yeah. You know, and that's these are the consequences. We are we are reaching the limits of our our wasteful behavior. Like I would argue it also costs us on a psychological level. I, I read a really interesting book by uh, he's, he's a German, I think, philosopher, but a Korean origin called Byung-Chul Hans. And, and he wrote this book called The Burnout Society. And, and the, the whole premise of the book is that. Um, so Freud was talking about neurosis and that neurosis stems from um, a negative pushback from society. Um, so we, we can't do things. So we, we always, we would like to do something, but we can't. And that today we've, that, that this has now completely changed and relating to this notion of abundance, we are living in a society of positivity where it's our, uh, the, the challenge for for everyone is to basically put limits on 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 what you want to do and be able to say no to things and I won't do this um, and 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 I, he was arguing that this has also a psychological effect on on people yeah. and yeah. and actually I wanted to ask you in this case it, it, what in your opinion then is the meaning of innovation um, because we've been talking about going back. And so the typical idea we have when we talk about innovation is that it's something new. Um, what, what would your thoughts be around that? Yeah, I suppose it would be like that, Jonathan, that it's something new and it's something nearly always technological. Like when we uh, tend to talk or when I hear talk about um, innovation, it's, it's often uh, technological rather than social. So you wouldn't necessarily hear that um, the 15 minute city or people being able to get to everything, you know, on foot is innovation. You know, it's, it's innovation is, is the electric vehicle, but uh, the, the concept of, you know, um, social collaboration, you know, and, and is is not necessarily seen as innovation. So I think innovation, in my experience, has been very much locked into technological gadgetry and uh, uh, technological uh, development. And so it would be, yeah, new, new that is technological, 
that would be my immediate understanding of innovation. Yeah, but, but I, I mean, there is so much that 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 is in there. I think it's also there is this very strong bias of, towards technology first, kind of technology first innovation, and and the work, at least I do, and, and I think here here we are all aligned also with Scott, is that we we, we try to kind of change the way how, how how this is perceived. So because if you start start out with technology, and and that's most of the work that honestly if, if i look at the project as we've been doing is is not creating a new idea or bringing some some new idea into a company the the, the, the struggle they have is here's a list of 200 different ideas that we have and we have no clue which one we should we should actually work on so i think they they because they're so technology focused because they are so feature focused or however you want to call this they end up exactly building that pile of 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 stuff, and 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 the struggle then is how how can you how can you prioritize it? How at one point you just it's it's no longer manageable as you say you you completely lose lose, and then and then in the worst case the team changes and then you add another couple of features with new new teams and it just it goes on and on and on without actually having that having that focus. So how. How can we bring this back? I mean, I think we, 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 we all kind of agree what the problem is, but how, what, how do you focus it back? How can you bring it back onto the, to the things that really, that really matter? Yeah. How do you figure this out? Well, maybe I talk a little bit about top tasks in that context, because well, that's the method I've used for addressing that problem you've just articulated uh, in uh, there. And so... You know, it's the basic understanding that there's stuff that matters and there's stuff that doesn't matter so 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 much. And you know, I say there's there's top tasks and there's tiny tasks. Yeah. And when when a tiny task goes to sleep at night, it dreams of being a top task. That's so beautiful. So, yeah. so, so a lot of the products team or whatever is going to be dealing with the tiny task because the 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 tiny tasks are ambitious. They know their time, but they believe that if they somehow get higher in the architecture and the agenda, people will love them and they will all, they will become top task. So you know, you um, remember years and years ago, we, back around two thousand nine, we did a top task uh, project with with Cisco, and the number one task was was software, two types of software download, uh, um, engineering. Uh, software download for firmwares and updates and stuff. Because most people who come to Cisco are engineers, they're network engineers, you know, hundreds of thousands of network engineers constantly maintaining systems, upgrading uh, those systems. But another type of software download was more promotional trials and all, all, all that sort of stuff. And uh, so we said, you know, the data came out, we, we drew up all the stuff that network engineers might want to do from troubleshooting to, you know, all, and uh, network engineers and other people who use the website, like pricing and installation and configuration guides and all the, all the stuff that people needed to do if they were uh, purchasing or managing a network or routers or, 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 or those sorts of systems. And very much, it wasn't a super task. So what I would call a super task is like a book of flight. 
uh, or a, a book of room is a task that is just way more dominant than, than everything else in the structure. But it, it 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 wasn't quite a super task, but it was it was very very much number one uh, in in the process. And um, so we said, you know, and, and what about downloads? Oh, we we dealt with that. That's yeah, that, yeah. No, everyone wants to do that. Yeah, yeah. So does everyone agree? Yeah, yeah. That's really important, but it's not what I want to talk about. That's <laughs> not what I want to focus on, right? So nobody had done anything in downloading software for the previous four or five years. Uh, and so the next step in, in, in top tasks is to ask the question, well, how is this top? We've established the top task. So basically, there was four tasks. So there's about 80 tasks in the environment. It's typically in any environment, whether it's WHO for COVID, you know, about somewhere between 50 and 80 tasks will define anything. Any sort of and just maybe for clarity's sake, like tasks, tasks in your your sense are stuff, stuff that people, people want do. to do. So, so okay. you know, and and people often say, "Oh, is that is that a verb?" Oftentimes, verbs are not good from an architectural point of view. With with uh, um, uh, navigate because verbs are find and get. So you don't need to say find pricing. So pricing is a task. Of course, pricing is a whole range of tasks. Configuration stuff that people need to do. People that are coming, you know, uh, to a website are coming with a purpose. And, and there are there is common purposes. So uh, I need, as a network engineer, I need to find out if there's a latest version of the RV over two firmware. And if there is, I need to download it because I need because I've got a bunch of RV over two routers and I need to upgrade them. I, I, I'm working because a lot in a lot in Cisco is mediated through partners. So they've got partners who look after end customers in the process. So these partners are constantly doing loads of upgrading and maintenance in the process. So software is a macro task. So you say, yeah, because when you say that to a network, if you say it to a bunch of marketing people, what are you talking about? But, but, but that's not really a task. But you say it to a network engineer, then immediately, yeah, that's downloading. So, you know, so it's this thing that I really need to do, the reason I'm here in the process. So um, software, Pricing, uh, configuration, troubleshooting—you know, stuff, stuff that that um, you know I need to do. I need to find out. I need to, you know, weather. You know, today is what you know. Like you're at a weather web website, not looking for information. You're looking for the weather. Yeah. <laughs> or will it be sunny? Do I need? You know. So the, the no, result... you're looking for another blog post about. I don't know. <laughs> No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't it drive you mad when you go to a menu website and they talk about uh, what a horrible night they had last night or, you know, their cousin called, I just want the menu for this cake. You know, yeah. I don't want the history of the, uh, of you know, your, your troubles with your spouse and that you've got four <laughs> children and that, you, you know, the color of your, just please give me the menu, you know, the, or, the, or the recipe in the, in, in the process. So, so the next step in top task is say, yeah, yeah, okay. So, but the, nobody wanted to talk about it. They want to immediately go to all the other stuff that was down at the bottom. But we held them feet to the fire a bit and says, well, how is how what software like? What's it like for downloading firmware, you know, and download? And then well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, you know, God, who, who has asked that question in the last four years? Or you know, so so we 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 created a some studies around the top tasks, such as 
download the latest version. So we came up with a bunch of instructions based on, on the software top tasks that were reflective of typical things that network engineers would need to do when they were downloading software. And uh, so we did a type of usability study where we, we observed it's like a time and motion, a combination of a time and motion and a, and a usability study. And most of them can be done with this sort of system, you know, screen sharing. You know, we were doing this back in 2009 with WebEx or whatever, go, go to meeting, do it. So it's different systems. So you just observe, you give the network engineer a task and then leave them alone, you know, and see, see how they went through it. And basically, we've got about 15 or 20 network engineers to do it. And we, we were able to show Cisco that it was a horrendous process. It was 15 steps to download a piece of firmware and it took about 400 seconds. Uh, so it was horrendous. And it had contained all sorts of things like step seven was something to do with Internet 5 or Internet six, Internet Explorer 6 that had a quirk in it and you couldn't. So, but it was not, we were now at Internet, I don't know what number, but we, we no longer needed step six. But nobody had ever got rid of step, step six in the browser. So you still had to say, do you have JavaScript on your browser? Or, you know, when now browsers were uh, able to automatically see it or in, in the So it was this classic collection of stuff that had the download software had been designed probably in 1995 and it had just been added to it. That concludes part one of our discussion with Jerry McGovern, author of Top Tasks. Check out part two in our next episode where we get into the practical details of Jerry's method. Send any thoughts to us at productquestpodcast at gmail.com and we will see you next time.